Welcome into the 208th episode of the Young Terps podcast. This is your host, Mason Viner, joined by Wayne Viner today. We are back, Terps football back in action, a 31-10 win over Buffalo. And we're here, well, actually in the real Viner Forgate studio now. It's been called that for a long time, but here we are high above Rockville Pike. We are, and it's nice to see all the equipment and all the lights on. It's great to be here talking Terps football and, and a win and an upcoming trip to Charlotte. And, hey, season's underway. Yeah, and with that, it's time to get back to the podcast. couple of updates. Jack will not be joining us for the Maryland football season. He's taking an internship with the team. So, for now, his Maryland football media time with Terp Talk. It's been a couple years that he was with us, but going in the direction, the career direction of the team side, but he'll be back for basketball. He's going to bring some new coverage to the team. A couple of on-campus on writers will be joining us for basketball, and Jack will be back on the Young Terps then. I think it's a great thing that we bring people in, they develop, they become who they want to be, and the fact that one of our guys is actually working for the football team, that is a great success. You know, we've got this group of interns that have moved up in the world, and it started with Bruce. I got involved. You've got you, you got Jordan, you got Jack, and you got others. It's great to see. Yeah, it is a great stepping stone for him and a great opportunity for Jack. He's also uh, with the commanders on the PR side during the football season. So shout out to Jack. We appreciate uh, him developing with us and giving us a lot of great content. And he'll be back for basketball. Uh, let's talk a little Terps football now. We'll start off with just some of my takes from the game. I thought Maryland, now reflecting on it a little bit, was took a little bit of a different approach this year. Uh, I thought that they were a lot more vanilla with things. Very, a lot of basic set, a lot of 4-3 on defense when I went and watched the game back. Very, very minimal uh, show on offense. A lot of just those swing passes, really basic things, and I think that was Mike Loxley's goal, and, and that's why you see that 31-point number. They weren't they weren't looking to stretch the field and, and show every tool they had. Uh, one deep pass, and it went to the other team, and it was a misread. Mike brought that up, that Leah thought the safety had moved pre-snap, and he, he ends up back there. That was a very Big Ten win. Maryland ends up dominating the game on the ground. They were big plays. It just came in an unexpected way. You got Hemby with the 70-yard run. You got Littleton, who just trucked a couple people. That was a that was a wow moment for me. Was Antoine Littleton running over defensive backs? Uh, defensively, look, Maryland did did enough. It only gave up seven points for most of the game till they really had what I'd even say isn't the A team, the B team. It was the C team that gave up that last field goal. So yeah, it's a dominant total victory it just didn't have the sizzle that i think all the turp fans are looking for yeah they go left they go right they go left and as we both know that maybe the next move is a deep slant or the deep ball once the opposing defensive backs get their eyes locked in on those short passes you cross them up by going deep and maryland just didn't do that yesterday yeah it, it wasn't there for them to do it almost seemed like the the play wasn't even in the list it was a lot of focus on and this is something that Mike Loxley didn't really say after the game it looked like to me they were saying what's our weakest spot what's our biggest question mark 
It's running the football for this team. That That's what they're most interested in in offense, and that's what they decide to try and execute the most in this game. Yeah, they threw the ball there 25 times in the first half, and they were really, you know, a lot of swing passes, a couple of those pop passes across the middle, but were they really throwing the ball in offense? No, they were trying to get a couple passes in to get the defense moving left to right, and then they were trying to run that counter trap play down the alley, and a couple of times Hemby was able to break that, and you saw why why he's a big emphasis for this team, why they said that he's the number one guy on the depth chart, because they're looking for that guy who beats a guy by one step, and he's gone. That, that's this whole offense. And they did. They ran that play in the first quarter, and we were standing on the sideline about the 15-yard line in the end zone that Hemby goes in. He runs right by us at full speed. I talked to him about that play, and you can see that interview up on triptalk.com about at what point does he think he's out. And the interesting point to me is he said, every play until I'm stopped, I think I'm getting out. And two plays on Saturday, he got away. What? So if he's the one, and you look at Littleton as a hammer, as the two, are you as excited as I am seeing a guy who can actually run over a defensive back? Yeah, I am. And, and that's something that I think there's been a lot of need for over time with with this offense, whether it was under DJ's time, or even going back to Randy Etzel's time with Maryland is when I need a yard, who can I give the ball to and who's going to almost guaranteed that guy's going to fall for it and give me a yard. Well, when they had that situation in this game, which is on my list of, of focus plays to talk about, it didn't happen, but I'm damn sure when Antoine Littleton gets the ball that I got a good chance. I'm getting one, two yards. Well, two things happened there. One is you turned to me and said, are they under center? Leah came up and got under center. And I thought they were going to go with the sneak. They turn and they hand it. No, he didn't get the yard. But that heavy jumbo look, when you talk about real Big Ten football, and you're going to line up with a guy that they say is a first-round draft pick in, in Duncan to the left. Then they have a guard in Spencer Anderson that might actually be a tackle. You have Johari Branch at center, who probably should be a guard. You've got uh, Mason Lunsford at right guard and all the way on the right tackle it's glaze if you can't get a yard with those five guys those are the five biggest guys i've ever seen together in an offensive line at maryland and then you throw in the tight end who got the start talk about dupree for a second yeah i mean you're talking about a guy who can really block at, at a high level and you know one of those defensive end tight end combos that seem to be a mainstay in the recruiting strategy of mike loxley is to find guys that have played both sides of the ball being an end or an outside linebacker on one side, playing tight end on the other, it really enhances your ability to block, usually, in development. Dupree's one of those guys, and a guy that, when we sat down with Dave LaMonaco, like we always do on this show, National Signing Day a couple of years ago, he said, I wouldn't be surprised if we see him end up on the defensive side of the ball for Maryland. And now you see him as a blocking, top-tier tight end that belongs playing Big Ten football, but still... Those six guys across the line, I think it was seven. I think Fontaine ended up rolling out there. Whoever was wearing number zero for Maryland, uh, which is their blank jersey, so they don't end up with a duplicate penalty, they still can't get a yard. Well, they didn't. On the other end, when they needed a yard, it was uh, whatever in goal when it was 24 to, to 7. If it's a Littleton, he just goes over the top. Instead of trying to run over the guys, he dives over them, easily gets the yard plus. And we were in the end zone in Yankee Stadium back in the bowl game Maryland a similar situation they turn the hand the ball to Littleton and he runs into two defensive players 
gets through them and he scores the touchdown. This guy can bring it. Now, we talked about him before because we saw him going to Jones Hill House before one of the games and you before he played. And you said, that's the guy who everybody else wanted as a linebacker. So what's Littleton's story there? Well, he's a St. John's product. And in his recruitment, Ole Miss was a big player. Maryland was. A couple other SEC schools. You know, a lot of guys get a, you get a ton of looks playing at a St. John's or a good counselor or Gonzaga around this area. And his primary recruitment, a lot of the push on him was, we want this guy as an inside linebacker. I mean, you can clearly see the build was there for it, especially where he was in terms of body type coming into College Park. That guy looks like a defensive lineman. He doesn't look like somebody that you're going to hand the ball off to as a running back. Maryland was, was one of the schools in his recruitment that said, we'll give you that shot. You, you think you're a running back 100%. We'll, we'll give you that opportunity, and he's taken it to this point. He really didn't want to be a linebacker was the word that was out there. And, you know, that, that credit, again, to Mike Loxley in this in, in his scouting department, time and time again we see this. Maryland's giving kids these opportunities to maybe play a position. They got a kid coming in, Dylan Wade, who they like at tight end, whose emphasis uh, at Jones outside Orlando in Florida right now is to play defensive end this year. So that, that just shows, again, when you have guys that are really involved in recruiting, that understand player development, that understand that, hey, these guys are 17, 18 years old. If I think I want to be a running back and I have every ability to do that and take that opportunity somewhere, I'm going to take it. So which digs was it that wanted to be a wide receiver? And Randy Etzel said, no, you're a cornerback. And he ends up at Alabama. Seems to have made it as an all-pro as a cornerback, but he played receiver and kick returner for the first couple of years. Would it have killed Maryland to have another Diggs out there who was returning kicks and maybe caught a pass or two? You mentioned about the guys that played offense and defense. You brought up Austin Fontaine, who a couple years ago was a defensive tackle. He ends up being a tight end. He's back on defense, and he's playing on defense now. The other guy is Tyler Baylor. And for I know this is the young Terps, but for the older people, his grandfather is the NBA great Elgin Baylor. The guy who wears number 10 for the Terps, he played defensive end on Saturday, but he's played tight end when they needed him uh, on other Saturdays. So, yeah, Maryland's into that, and I, I think it's cool that you have guys who play on both sides of the ball. Well, it's cool to a point, but clearly it takes not having those guys if you want a winning football team. Well, how At many 6'8", 300-pound guys are you going to get? I mean, Maryland's building that. When you saw the second defensive line come out, so is it Quashon? Uh, yeah, Quashon Fuller, um, Chabuzi or or Chabuzier. Yeah, who's out there for Maryland now? It, it's they've taken solid steps, and and it doesn't hurt to say, okay, you know, Austin Fontaine, you've played tight end here. It's fourth and one. We need a yard. Go out there and block, you know, that that second spot from the edge. So he's not he's not the pin guy in the play, but he's just a move the ball forward or, or Tyler Baylor. You know that kind of fits. In, in those ways and it is valuable to have those guys but right now I think what you're seeing is when you look at the two deep and it's not even the two deep right now I think it's actually the three deep across the defensive line the additions and yeah they had some losses but the additions it showed Isaac Bunyan who's on the two deep might have even been a starter at a certain point going into like the Minnesota game last year a walk-on guy from Maryland now he's on scholarship he's not on the two deep that's a guy that's played legitimate Big Ten football for you that's still fairly young big guy he's not on the two deep he's getting time in there he's near the top list of tackles but you're really saying when those guys don't appear on the two deep 
hey, if a guy gets hurt, we have another guy that's actually played that's going to step in and fill that role. And that that's where the value is on the roster. And no, they might not be stars across the front seven for Maryland, but the fact that they can move guys around, guys that aren't even on the two deep, and say, okay, at least this guy's played. It's not just some random walk-on we're throwing out there. It's not just some freshman on scholarship. But we have guys that have played legitimate downs, meaningful downs for our football team that aren't on the two deep that can step in. I That was one of the things that jumped off the page for me. So when you look at a football team, and we've looked at Maryland for years and years and years in depth, there's everybody knows there's 22 guys that play, plus the kicker, the punter, and the long snappers. There's 25 guys that absolutely are going to play in a game. On offense, Maryland rolls the wide receivers and changes the tight end and uses a couple running backs, but generally keeps the quarterback and the five linemen. So let's say on offense they play 18 guys regularly. On defense, they play a few more. So overall, you need 55 guys who can actually play when you look at this, 50 to 55 guys. And we have said before on the air and to each other, maybe Maryland has 30 guys. This probably is the first year since 2010, somewhere around then in a while that you said, hey, not only are there pros on the field, but there's guys in reserve. And maybe we finally get to 55 or 60 guys that can actually play football. So when somebody pulls a hamstring, it's not some 17-year-old kid that's going to come in and have to play. Maybe there's more. But speaking of the 17, 18-year-olds, Maryland plays Jay Sean Barnum. Barham. Barham. Yep. They play Caleb Wheatland. Uh, both two big-time linebackers, and they bring in a fifth-year guy in Vandarius Cowan as another linebacker. What would you make of the defensive additions? Yeah, I thought overall it, it was better than I thought than I expected. I mean, Barham, you, everybody, every site, everybody that's seen Maryland practice has said that guy can play. And I think that showed immediately. He belonged out there on the field. You know, regardless of the fact that he's a true freshman. I mean, he's been with the team since he played spring ball. He's played fall camp. Now he's actually playing games for Maryland. He, he looked ready to go. I think Wheatland is probably a step behind that, slightly behind that. He can play, too. I think the biggest thing with the guys that they've added is I think it's got to be Trebuzi in there. Um, they needed one more defensive tackle. With the guys they lost, they needed to bring in one more guy that, that can step in there and kind of play roles. And what that allows Maryland to do is maybe when Ty J. Johnson is ready to go again, he can step in and be a true nose tackle. Him and Anthony Booker, Tank Booker can step in there, and they can actually be run-stopping defensive linemen. Okay, it's third and one. Situationally, those guys are coming in. We're going to put two guys that are 6'6", 340 out there instead of trying to bring in our every down. You know, Nasil Kite kind of fits into that. Ami Finau fits into that. Those guys are a little bit smaller. They're your 6'2", 310 to 320 kind of guys. Okay, it's short yardage. What defensive lineman can we roll out there? And then suddenly you end up with Kite's playing the end. Maybe Finau's playing the other end. Or maybe you still hold on for your Jack linebacker like a Tyler Baylor to be out there. And you can play a different front. You actually can have the ability to play a true five-man if you have to. Rotate guys in depending on what the down distance are. And as a coordinator, you look at that and you say, okay, now there's actually some flexibility in there. Who can rush the passer? Who are my every down starters? And then who can I utilize to really work on a power move, a one-step power move that's going to stop a quarterback sneak or a short yardage run? Good. Yes, that that is depth. That's something that hasn't been there 
for years and years and years, and suddenly that's back. It gives me great hope. Defensive backfield. Said we talked to Jacorian Bennett. That's one. Uh, Banks, Deontay Banks, was number three. He played the other side. Uh, Tarheeb still moves into the slot sort of star position. He's now wearing number four. Uh, and then you have your two safeties. I didn't see Corey Coley. I said I didn't see him play. He was in street clothes. I saw him after the game. And uh, those three starters as cornerbacks, that, that's a pretty good three. I'm not sure who four, five, and six are. Well, that, that's the problem there is who is four, five, and six. And it's it looked like at one point in camp that it was going to be Isaiah Hazel. He's rotated into a safety role. I don't really think he ever caught on a corner at Maryland. I think they're a little bit disappointed just when they got him. Big-time four-star receiver, also rated as a four-star defensive back. Just hasn't happened. They started him off as a wide receiver. He's played on special teams a lot. He's given them a lot of time and a lot of he's, – he's made some plays, especially on the special team side, but the, he's not – he's a role football player, great athlete. Doesn't really fit in, I don't think, anywhere across the board. He's a backup safety now for this team. Uh, we saw a little bit of a freshman from Tallahassee who was one of my favorite players in the class. Uh, Lionel Whitaker was out there. I think he was massively underrated coming out. He may be able to play, but again, guy's 18, 19 years old. He's, he doesn't really fit that. You're so far behind right now with these guys that are 23, 24, still hanging out in college. That when you're 18, you're at a massive disadvantage, strength and conditioning-wise, system knowledge. You're just behind in that way. I think it's Coley that steps into that role. Well, Gavin Gibson had the role on yeah. Saturday. Didn't work out so well. No, I think Gavin Gibson struggled a little bit. Again, another chance where a guy is coming in first game in college, and, and they're guys, most of Buffalo's rosters, transfers. They're the graduate year guys, the sixth-year senior. However, they're listed on, on a sheet of paper a lot of those guys are older uh, players that have found their way to Buffalo who did not look like the team that's picked last place in the MAC on Saturday by the way but no they did have their moments they were tougher than I thought uh, you rotate back to safety Maryland gets a little younger uh, Bo Braid is on one side and Dante Traders on the other Bo Braid leads the teams in tackles which is never a good thing when your safety is leading the team in tackles but he he's with a combination of other guys, picks up six stops on the day. I think he looked fine. I think he's looked fine for a long time. He needs real game experience where he's the starter to take that next step. I think Dante Trader is in the same spot. I talked to Bo after the game, said, you know, a lot I'm seeing you 15, 16 yards back, and I'm seeing you, he, he moved up. And he made a lot of plays when he actually was closer, sort of a floating linebacker safety, uh, something that Maryland used to call a star position. Other people called a bandit. But he played both. He said, yeah, but you got to remember, I'm really am a safety. But on Saturday, Maryland played a lot of just base five defensive backs. Yeah, and I think that that's that Antoine Brooks role. You know, there was a time where Antoine Brooks was going to play the nickel corner if Maryland needed him to. He came in, he was a nickel corner. Bo Braid's kind of in that same spot. He's roaming around the field. A lot of times they're bringing Glendon Miller is up in that same spot for Maryland where he's a linebacker safety. They're bringing that guy up into the box. Traders, Trader can play man on man. Talking about a guy who's a five-star midfielder in lacrosse, high three-star football player. He, is, he can move it. So I, I think they're going to utilize that flexibility, and it, it will play It will play differently if they figure out if they have a fourth corner. Right now you don't have a fourth corner, so I might as well bring in my third safety or Isaiah Hazel, a guy who can, who's played corner, 
who's going to give me that kind of boom roll. He can take a running back or a tight end man on man. That's always your goal with that safety. If I don't have a fourth corner that's serviceable and I have two backup safeties that I'm confident in, if I need an extra defensive back, it's just going to be next best guy up is it where is. you start to look at. So when you talk about Big Ten, I don't know how much of the three receiver, or I'm not sure how much of the Big Ten still looks like the Big Ten, Iowa, or how much of the Big Ten looks like they're going to throw the ball all over the place. Maybe a Michigan State's going to throw the ball a little more than they used to. So, yet yeah, roster development across the board, Maryland is catching up. Uh, and that's, I'd say, the important point here. Uh, Do you see anything about the two guys who are supposed to be able to really rush the passer? That's Vandarius Cowan and Durrell Chime. Anything pop with them? I think Chime was close on a lot of plays. Another guy, first set of reps since this time last year when he got hurt. And I think him and Fananje Gote kind of fit into that same spot. Guys you know can play, but it's that first time they're going up against somebody else that, that they don't see in practice all the time, that they're not in the weight room with, that they don't know a lot of the strength and weaknesses of. You start to, you know, ease yourself back into it. I think Barrel did a lot of rotation there, trying to play a lot of guys, trying to get guys like T- Tyler Baylor back comfortably into the jack position. And, and Cowan was, he looks good out there. I think that he's a guy that really has legitimate size, speed, but do they take that step? Can they make that play? Can they get to the passer? Maryland does it four times. Almost all of them come from the interior lineman. So Shabuzi gets two. Nasil Kite gets one. I forget who got the last one for Maryland on this game. But it's, again, it's a teamwork effort. Chime might be the best pass rusher on this team. Cowan might be the second best guy. If you're starting to make a tackle focus and they end up floating five yards away from the line, trying to take that angle away from your edge rusher, suddenly there's a lot more room for these guys' interior linemen that we know can play that earned all Big Ten honorable mentions to actually push up the middle. Then you're pushing the pocket, and you do, and Maryland fell into it a couple times. They overblitz. They got out of their rush lanes, and the quarterback takes off and goes for 15 yards. That's my last defensive point. You mentioned the speed rush. They, They get you looking at those four bigger defensive players and Ahmad McCullough breaks in and gets a sack or or gets a pressure does that speed game do you think that translates to conference play it does against a handful of the opponents that they play I think Maryland's schedule is in a spot where week by week we're going to see some of those guys that we've mentioned here play a lot more than than they do in other times Give you an example of that coming up. Maryland's playing a team in Charlotte who they should have no problem with, but we'll talk about that in a, in a second. Then they play SMU. Maryland plays SMU. A lot more of those speed guys are going to be on the football field. They're going to be needed in that game to run right to left with them, to take away that same swing passes they're seeing a lot in practice. They'll see against SMU. The next week after that, they're playing Michigan. Okay, Michigan's going to want to run the ball. You know, Cade McNamara is probably going to line up. I think that that's going to be the starter in the end. at the end of – uh, this discussion in Ann Arbor, and they're going to line up. They might have eight offensive linemen and try and run the ball straight at you. And then you got your Purdue, Wisconsin threw the ball a lot more than they usually do against Illinois State. I think that they're going to try and start to adapt that. They have a great quarterback in Graham Mertz. Michigan State's not going to be the team that you saw last year. They're trying to throw the ball a lot with Peyton Thorne. So week to week, there's going to be different different teams in there. And then a team like Northwestern's classic pro-style offense. You're going to see him run it a lot. Right. On the back of the offensive side, before we get into more into next week, four freshmen had some notable play, at least to me. Uh, one is a center. Colton Deary got in for two complete series. 
freshman at center in the Big Ten. He looks to play the part. Later in the game, coming in for, I think it was a few snaps for Delmar Glaze, another series, a uh, kid by the name of Roy, big offensive tackle, gets in the game. So their sixth and seventh offensive linemen uh, on Saturday are freshmen. Now, hey, you got to play four games to burn your red shirt now. Maybe they just want to give them a little taste of it. But I think if those are the guys you're bringing in, if there's an injury, you're going to see a freshman. Two other guys, one that you said is more one of my guys, which is the tailback, Brown, and Octavian Smith at receiver. What do you make of those two? Yeah, Octavian Smith's definitely going to play this year. I don't think he's a redshirt candidate. You see him in the first-team special teams, kick coverage, punt coverage, uh, and then you see him get a couple touches at wide receiver. I think he's really good. Paint branch product, local guy. Maryland gets a late flip from four-star. I think that he is that next receiver up for Maryland. I think they were really, really hesitant to give Dante Demas and Jay Sean Jones a lot of snaps rightfully so in that case you don't need those guys to have massive games against buffalo and develop that next step guy i think on the offensive side drury is probably your backup center i think he's definitely the backup center on this team i don't think they have any intentions of putting spencer anderson back at center after last year snapping the ball over the guy's head eric harris had the job at the beginning of the year he transferred in from hutchinson kansas lost the job yeah i don't I don't really know where Eric Harris is. I've seen that brought up a couple places. Where Where is this guy? He was playing last year. It wasn't terrible. I think Ja'Kai Green's probably your next offensive lineman up. He's played yeah, a little makes bit. Sense. He's played a little bit over time. I think they're looking to get guys like Andre Roy snaps. You know, get him some sort of game reps. Okay, it's not the first time you've been out there. If we need you, um, but are they really going to throw a freshman out there if they have to? I don't think. I think we're finally past the point where that's a, a requirement. You know, where that guy's the next guy. It's just the only guy. Look around, scholarship guys. Um, I think they got some more flexibility in those spots. They'll shuffle guys around before they have to play a true freshman. I would think so, but Locks and company, they they seem pretty set. You play that position, you're the next guy up. You're on that roster. You're playing. Right. So a tailback, tell me where they got uh, Ramon Brown. Well, Brown comes in, you know, Virginia Tech flip, late, late class guy, four-star um, down Richmond area, not a spot where Maryland's beating Virginia Tech for a lot of guys, but they, they win this battle. I think when I watch the game and look at it again, I think he's odd man out for this year. I'm not sure if that will be the case. A lot of you know, a lot of the insider sites have said he's impressed. Mm. I know I've heard that from Ahmed Gafir, spoken mm. really highly of him. Other people uh, in that space that are more interested in you know the who's shining have, have put him down a couple places. But with Littleton... McDonald, Hemby, and then eventually Fa'amatau. I don't think we need to burn a year off of a guy that that's coming in here as a freshman. Again, let him catch up strength and conditioning-wise. We're not in the same spot we were last year at this time. And let guys get that minute to get set. I think that that's something that people tend to forget with some freshmen that shine so bright when they come in right away is for most people, it's that same life change that any kid goes through you know they're away from home for the first time they're in a spot where you know everything is changing around them even with the football side of things they are suddenly they're playing against a guy that's 23 in practice 22 years old when you're in that spot unless you're taken off you got the job you're playing fantastic in practice you've flipped over and a lot of the guys you see from an img or saint francis are better equipped for that just from life experience a lot of them have moved to play football before I think that you want to give guys that minute to get get set. 
Now, I'm not saying they shouldn't have played him against a team like Buffalo. Those are valuable reps, especially if they think he can benefit the team at this point. But with some of these freshmen, you just have to give them a minute to settle in, especially when they're far away from home or that's the first time. And it's not Ramon Brown's first time. He was played USA football. Elijah Brooks had a longstanding connection with him before. But for some of these guys, it's, it can be a really tough transition. Maryland's had a handful of guys from last cycle that ended up transferring out just because that transition was too tough for them. Well, this is a big boy league, and they're going to play some big boy defenses. Chad Ryland looks like the pickup of the week. He does. And, and that's he, a place kicker. Yeah, he is on my on my list actually at the top of it with newcomers is a guy that can kick the ball into the end zone I never thought would be so valuable. But if you watch college football this weekend, the amount of guys that can't make an extra point or that can't get a kickoff that stays in bounds consistently at – not necessarily the big name schools, but the tier, the American Athletic Conference, the you know lower tier Big Ten, lower tier ACC, lower Power Five schools, upper tier LSU. Yeah, it's it's almost stunning that you can't find guys that can kick an extra point. Well, I saw a lot of teams doing what Maryland did, which is they're going to scout uh, Central Arkansas or Chad came from Western Michigan, Eastern Michigan, Eastern Michigan. Um, and say, hey, if you want to go to the Big Ten or the SEC, we got a spot for you because we need a kicker. And to bring in a veteran kicker, in this case, seems like a good idea for Maryland. Well, I forget the name of the kid right now, but think about where we were with Maryland a couple of years ago. One, they thought they hit the lottery with Petrino. And then they thought they hit it again with, was it Harrison Beatty or Beatty? That yep. was the backup kicker who was from, I think it was Calvert Hall. He went to Oregon originally, transfers back to Maryland, never really – they gave him a couple kicks throughout his career. He missed most of them. And you look at who's been good – who's been a good kicker for Maryland over the last eight years. Henry Darnstarter or Harry – was it? Darnstarter, who yeah, transferred who in from Georgetown. Georgetown. And a guy that came from Eastern Michigan. Hopefully a guy that came in from Eastern Michigan. Right. Does, but eight, eight years ago does cover number 15, doesn't it? What, Brad Craddock? Yeah. It, it – Maybe Touches. right on the edge. Yeah, yeah, right on the edge of when Brad Craddock was the was front man for Maryland football. 2015, he wins the Groza Award. And he no, beats, 14, he beats. He wins the Groza. Well, 15, he beat Penn State. Um, I think that 14? was 14? No, that was 14. And then going into 15, he's the front man for Maryland football. Like He's on all the cups that they give out in the stadium, and he wasn't very good. Oh, well. He was good. He wasn't He wasn't he the was, best kicker So who else football. is on your, your pile of notes there? Well, most of, we've talked about most of the guys on my pile of notes. I mean, obviously, Rakim Jarrett has a great game to start his season, goes for over 100 yards. I really like him on those pop passes and swing passes. They're trying to get Octavian Smith to be the two there. There was some miscommunication on a couple of those swing passes where he wasn't getting out wide enough. He wasn't jumping off the ball. Mm-hmm. And again, I think it's something that is of note for Maryland and didn't really show last year week one, but showed this year. This is a timing-based offense. So... When you're saying they're throwing a, you know, pass, the ball's going 30 yards out to the outside, right? You're throwing the ball almost the length of the field going one way or the other, but it's a one yard or less than one yard pass going forward. Mm-hmm. It's 100% timing. They're looking to snap the ball, and that ball is going to come out in about one and a half seconds. They need to hit that guy. He's got to be getting right. motion going up the sideline. He needs forward momentum to catch the ball and for the play to be successful. And you're moving your tackle out to block form. So your offensive line isn't really concentrating on pass blocking, it's concentrating on getting left and right to get in the lanes to create the tunnel. Right, and when you're doing that, 
if that plays off by a second, it's blown. You're probably going to lose yards on it. Either your quarterback's pass is going to get tipped, which is a high interception rate on that. You're going to take a sack, or the pass will be complete, and it's for a loss of yards. And we saw a couple were just flat-out missed. The ball's thrown. It's thrown to a spot. The receiver has to be in that spot on time. And a lot of that, everyone's saying, well, Leah looks shaky, which he didn't look he didn't look the best he's ever looked. But I felt like watching the game, especially when we were at field level and we were taking pictures, that most of it was messed up on the receiver's timing. They weren't getting that jump. Well, they, often that's how this looks. On TV, it makes the quarterback look bad. And in reality, having watched for years and years, you know that a lot of the interception, a lot of the missed timings on the receiver. It's the quarterback did put the ball where it was supposed to go. The receiver didn't get there. Uh, Demets did come back, knee brace and all. Jay Sean Jones comes back. We haven't talked about Copeland, who's supposed to be, to me, the X Factory, where's number two, and played a lot of the first team reps at wide receiver. Yeah, and it looked like a lot of times the defense was focused on him a, a fair amount in that. it's He's in that spot in Maryland. They have it, uh, the you know, Maryland lists them Z, X, Y wide receivers. The X wide receiver, which I believe is Copeland right now, either he's the Z or the X. It's a, a spot where Jayshon Jones has been featured a lot and where you don't really see many balls going Jayshon Jones' way in the past. And, and Copeland kind of was in that same spot. He catches one ball, four yards, and you're like, where is this guy, you know? Well, they, they, next week he could come out and he can have the 100-yard game and Jarrett's going to have three catches for 11 yards. You know, that's just where Maryland's at right now. Well, Hemby after the game says you can't cover everybody. It's a paraphrase. So they went, Maryland runs the plays where Buffalo wasn't, which is in the running game, and hits them big because you're so spread out and you're so concerned about getting beat in a short pass, which is a, a concern that I don't know how many teams have. But when you play against Maryland, because of the focus on the swing pass, you're so focused in on staying up near the line of scrimmage and covering a receiver that I think it puts a lot of defensive backs in a weird spot. So, yeah, they're going to switch off. Yes, you're going to emphasize one over the other. Maryland does play a lot of field and boundary, boundary being the shorter side of the field, and trying to get Rakim Jarrett out into space. And Rakim Jarrett into space, if he can draw a safety in a corner consistently, Maryland will throw the ball to somebody else. And what you didn't see a lot, and what we, I guarantee you we'll see eventually, is Jarrett runs one way. He runs the swing pass. The other side, there's Demas. Give me anybody on the other side. That guy runs a go route going the other way. Everybody's looking one way. Man on man going down the other side. I'm throwing that ball. And you start to say, see how much of Maryland's offense goes off of that motion receiver coming across. Whether it's the pop pass, the swing pass, whatever they run, they start moving your eyes left to right, and then they're going to look towards right. the middle of the field. Either and they right. didn't bait hard towards the middle of the field today. They didn't want to show that. And last year... We saw a game that Maryland circled that they needed to win against West Virginia, that they wanted to win, and you saw every trick in the book they had. Every play set they ran the entire season was ready to go week one for that game, was in that game plan. Right. We may not see that until week three this year, because next week, I mean, we're talking about a team that gave up 40-something-odd points to William & Mary. Do they come out and do anything different than what they just did? Does Maryland? Yeah. No, you play Big Ten football. S somewhere in that game... And, it, and for years, it's been the other way around. But somewhere in that game on Saturday, he said Maryland's size and imposing their will, they just started to play Big Ten grinded out football. And I've really enjoyed that, but I've gotten so used to 
the swing pass left, swing pass right, slant, and then go deep once you have everybody having your eyes down looking for the play to happen in front of you that Maryland goes over the top. And no, they didn't They didn't play to that rhythm. You've talked about rhythm and pace and setting it up. It's a great offense if you watch the whole game of how they set up the next play. And no, they didn't show the fireworks in that on Saturday. And that's fine. You still won 31-10. to 10. So they head down. I think that's a good spot to, to kind of close the book on Buffalo. Maryland, 21 points. They win the game. It, it, it was... You know, all the lines everywhere was 23-and-a-half, so pretty accurate compared to what all the experts thought this game would go. I just had to point that one out. Maryland was not supposed to win this game by 40. They were supposed to win by 23-and-a-half or 20-27 to 27 if you follow all that stuff. That's kind of where everybody had the game pinned, and, and that's where it ends up. So Maryland now takes a odd road trip. They're going to Charlotte. Now, Charlotte is a team that – a school that actually, I guess, Jordan visited when he was looking at – and you went – when he was visiting colleges and it's an interesting place Longtime commuter school big graduate degree producer in the major metropolitan area uh that is charlotte now going down you know right on the border of south carolina a lot of stuff popping up around there and the school is one of those things they have an fbs football team with the minimum size stadium so it's fifteen thousand seat stadium that is expandable or it might be up to 20 now. It's expandable up to 45. The list is for 38 for Saturday, I believe. I, I don't think it is. Okay. But it's expandable up to 40,000. They build it. It's it's brand new. They've invested a lot of money into football, and the results have, well, they haven't been there yet. Uh, the team's kind of struggled over its time. This year, they're now, they were supposed to be kind of middle of the pack in their conference. They play some good games against, you know, some teams they thought they could beat, like FAU Week 1, William & Mary last week. Well, now the numbers are starting to say they might be one of the worst teams in the FBS. And Maryland goes on the road there. Should be a large Maryland contingent there. But I'm kind of disappointed. I don't know about you. I thought this would be, like, the biggest game in Charlotte football history that they played there. And they would get a big crowd. They have a huge event planned for before the game for the Terps that are heading down there. It's their Hall of Fame Athletics Weekend. But, well... I'm pretty sure we're going to be seeing a lot of empty seats on Saturday. I didn't think of it that way as far as the empty seats. I know you were looking forward to this an intersectional, intersectional game that we can actually drive to. And uh, it's one of the reasons to get out there is it's, uh, it's sort of like uh, going to Wake or going down to Carolina of years past. So it looked like fun, but it does look like it's going to be a, a big Maryland win. Nothing wrong with that. Uh people are talking about the next week and i know this is football so you only play the game that's right in front of you but people are already talking about the next week against smu being that game that referendum game on mike loxley's build of this team much like that bowling green game was the referendum on randy edsel's uh tenure six years ago five years ago well let's hope it doesn't go the way that that game went the randy edsel uh no, I don't mean it in a Beat bad that. way. I just mean uh, that this is a pivotal game in the tenure of how we build in this program. When you have SMU come in, 7.30, next Saturday, 17th, it, it's going to be a big deal for Maryland. You, if you're going to be anything this year for the Maryland Terrapins, you got to be 3-0. Yeah, and it's going to be against a team that's starting to get rack up vol- votes in the AP poll, SMU. Yep. And they're not going to be there. They play Lamar this weekend. 
um, SMU does. So Maryland's heading to Charlotte. SMU's playing against Lamar at home. Neither one of these two teams is really going to have a game that they that should have been competitive going into Saturday in two weeks. And and suddenly I think you're going to be seeing a lot of people say that SMU is, you know, they need to win this game. They want to win this game. They're trying to show that they probably belong in the Big 12 at this point. They don't want to be stuck in the American Athletic Conference forever. Mm-hmm. It's going downhill quickly. And SMU is a team that can make a splash. They have Houston, who's ranked right now on their schedule. They have, obviously, they can end up playing a team like Cincinnati, who just played Arkansas really tough. And suddenly, you know, SMU can run away with that conference. And winning that conference, while it's not the premier college football conference, the American, it, it's going to put you in a New Year's Six Bowl game. Cincinnati showed they can put you in the college football playoff. And I think SMU's got some really, really high hopes for this year. And obviously Maryland does as well. But I think we'll talk about that one about a week from today. Uh, That's great. Let's do that. So we'll be heading down to Charlotte on Friday. Are we going to be at the uh, old line Terrapin Club tailgate on Saturday? If you can get us in the door, of course we'll go. And we'll be out on there on the field uh, and with the po- with the big dog post game show after the game live from Charlotte, obviously Mike Loxley will be talking to the media after hopefully a big Maryland win. I think that Maryland rolls pretty well. I think we might see the sixty three to seven in this one. I'd like a sixty three to seven. I'm looking for one of those games once again where you have three hundred fifty yards on the ground. Everybody gets a touch. You get seeing a little more Colby McDonald, a little more Littleton, and later in the game. Because it's a big game against SMU the next week, you probably pull the starters a little earlier if you have a sizable lead. Yeah, I'm looking to see a lot of Billy Edwards in this game. I think that he needs the snaps. You know, obviously his red shirt's already gone. He's the backup quarterback of a Big Ten team. Right. They get him from Wake. He doesn't play at all uh, last year. He needs the reps. you got to get that guy in. You Isn't gotta... it funny how he leaves Wake and then their quarterback gets hurt and he actually would have had a shot at Wake. But well, yeah, hey, we're I happy mean, to have him. Everything... You always can look back at anything, but he's here at Maryland now. He's going to have the opportunity, if Leah has a good year, to possibly compete with um, Cam Edge and, and Jaden Saray as to be Maryland's next quarterback. So a lot of opportunity at Maryland for him, too. Looking forward to seeing those guys. Looking forward to seeing all of you at Charlotte next week at the Terrapin Club Old Line Tailgate. And as always, thanks for listening.